The promise of self-help is just like the promise of spirituality. In self-help, we're sold on becoming a super person, a super you. You see an Anthony Robbins, or you see, well, I'm not going to see I'm not going to say Gary Vaynerchuk because he doesn't sell self-help. He's a totally different ball of wax. But you see an Anthony Robbins, and I can't, for some reason, I can't name other names of of self-help gurus. I mean, obviously, Wayne Dyer comes to mind. But I'm I'm more into the technical kind of uh, gurus, people like Grant Cardone in sales or Ty Lopez in internet marketing. Gary Vaynerchuk in entrepreneurship. In terms of general self-help and motivate and motivation, I guess the number one person would have to be Anthony Robbins. And going back to the conclusion of the last episode, the conclusion essentially is that a person can go from an average schmuck like yourself and myself, lazy, not really driven doesn't do what they know they should do, you know, doesn't seize the day, so to speak. You can change that into someone who is, let's say, like Anthony Robbins. Now, have any of us met Anthony Robbins before his so-called transformation? Or what is there to be said about this transformation? I actually had the privilege of seeing him live in Charlotte, North Carolina in circa 1997. But just before I go on, let me just say that the promise of spirituality is very much like the promise of self-help in as much as you're promised this thing called enlightenment and you're told that you have to obviously spend years and years in meditative silence or spiritual discipline and worship and so on and so forth. In self-help, you're told the same thing, although although with cutting-edge science, they talk about forming new habits in 21 days. I just recently was listening to an audiobook about self-help and neuroscience in which they talked about 45 days. And they've made a science out of the fact that, or, you know, this is what we're told. This is what we're told. And it sounds plausible. It sounds plausible to me. And, you know, who would, who would dare deny such things? I mean, these are neuroscientists, people like, obviously, um, Joe Dispenza. Okay. Neural networks, neural networks. I'll get back to that in just a second. So you basically form new habits and new through new ways of thinking and acting, which forms new neural networks in your brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's 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 put that out on a limb for now. So Anthony Robbins, I was in yet another multi-level marketing, and I hadn't even graduated out of university. My best friend at the time, Jerome Robinson, who currently, you know drives a Porsche and lives in Orlando, Florida. He, in many respects, was an early sales slash business mentor of mine. I mean, the guy 
was kicked out of his house or left his home when he was 14, that kind of thing, and came up the hard way. When I met him, he was running a landscaping company with his wife, Teresa, and I started doing some work for him, um, you know, landscaping. And truth be told, I actually, uh, I actually ended up losing my scholarship at university. I was at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut on a full scholarship. This is an undergraduate scholarship, tuition, room, and board for four years. It was an $80,000 scholarship, $20,000 a year. So essentially, they taught me, fed me, <laughs> and um, yeah, and housed me. Uh, for four years. That's obviously a dream come true. But me being the idiot I was, it's not that I'm not intelligent, but perhaps that I uh, started off with the wrong major, which was computer science. And computer science, you know, is beyond me, I might as well just say. Although I got an A in A-level maths for anyone out there, it's meant to be the hardest kind of uh, test you'll ever take as per your age compared to your age, A-levels. Um, so that's what they give to kids in high school in, uh, you know, the English school system versus your IB or or in international baccalaureate or what have you. That is more of the American system. In any case, Jerome signed me up for ACN, American Communication Networks. I went with him and a troop of people down to Charlotte, North Carolina. I still remember the pitch. The pitch for ACN was you walk up to someone and say, hey, how would you like to save 5, 10, or 25% off your phone bill? Great. You shake their hand, done. You know, And so you sign them up to Quest. Quest was the phone provider at the time. And you sign the person up to Quest, and they're saving money. That's great. And then you ask them, hey, um, do you know some other folks who'd like to save some money on their phone bill? And then you sign that person up to become, you know, um, Part of this multi-level marketing scheme. I recently just read another article, and this was in the Guardian or something like this, bashing multi-level marketing uh, as a whole, as a business model. And I guess I want to say for the record that you see, it's true what they actually say in multi-level marketing that if it was illegal or if there's something wrong with it, it wouldn't be allowed. And companies like, you know, Fortune 500 brands wouldn't associate themselves with these business models if they were shady. The problem is that people get involved with them and it comes down to the, exactly the same question, very interestingly, of some people make it, some people don't. And the people who make it say to those who don't, listen, if I can do it, you can do it. And the people who don't make it, I might as well add, like myself, the people like myself who don't make it. You know, I was in Amway, I was in ACN, I was in Melaleuca for a while. I was in Lioness, I guess it's called, where essentially you get a saving card and you save on a whole bunch of box stores and retail outlets and you sign people up. And who doesn't want to save money? So it's it's exactly the same thing. Multi-level marketing is, fa in, in fact, is an awesome, awesome kind of, um, study of exactly uh, the proof in the pudding that I'm referring to when I say that you can, it seems, I don't want to believe it because I've been trying it for 30 years, but you can actually take yourself from being your 
lazy, depressed, unmotivated, unfulfilled self that you presently are, and myself included, you know, unfulfilled in the sense of, you know, something's missing or you're, you know, you're not at your A game the whole time. You're not at your A game. I mean, there's something missing. Or let's just go back to black and white. Let's say Tony Robbins and then yourself and myself. Tony Robbins is just like, um, there's a Silicon Valley author, uh, Kawasaki, I think his name is. I forget his name. I was following him on Twitter for a while. Um, Guy Kawasaki, he used to be kind of, what is it called? An evangelist for Apple, like their chief evangelist or something like that. And for a long time, I thought he was scummy. Now, I'm only saying this after the fact because I have a lot of respect for him at the current point in time because I've actually read some of his books, you know, The Art of the Start, for, ex for example, and one of his recent books, Enchantment. I've listened to snippets and, and um, you know, the guy does stuff. You know, he has this um, website called All Top, A-L-L-T-O-P. L is -L in Lamb, P is in Peter, All Top. And what it is is a news aggregator like Google, but it's actually very interesting, and it fills a niche um, that I still find lacking. I know I'm digressing. I'll tie it all up. Um, Guy Kawasaki, essentially, um, I had the actually uh, pleasure of seeing him when I was working at Computer Associates, and we went out to Las Vegas for our so-called annual uh, conference, CA World, but it's actually every 18 months every 18 months in alternatively in April or November. Anyway, November or rather April 2007, my wife and I got to fly out to Vegas as part of CA World. Uh, we spent $1,000 on shows like the Blue Man Group, Phantom of the Opera, Cirque du Soleil. And of course, um, I got in trouble because I didn't follow the program. <laughs> All the all the uh, salespeople from my office were meant to attend certain courses and no one clued me in on this. And I ended up just attending whatever <laughs> random, you know, lectures and keynotes that I wanted to, not the keynotes everyone gets to see, but I attended, attended all the various different sessions that I wanted to. And I got kind of chewed out for that after the fact, but in any case, Guy Kawasaki was one of our speakers. And the only thing I remember him saying on stage was that he only had 10 slides to show us. And somehow that was a great thing because no one remembers slides. Anyhow, Guy Kawasaki also said later on, and this is why I thought he was scummy for a while, he was in an interview and he was kind of looking at the camera and he was, in a sense, he was, I don't know, he seemed to be very... Um, in a sense, very happy, self-gratified to me after the fact. Now, once again, I truly respect the guy, and he's a venture capitalist. He's a mover and a shaker. He's worked for Apple. He's written best-selling books, right? So, you know, it's very easy to, to wag your tongue and criticize uh, people. For a long time, I would tell people that they shouldn't criticize Donald Trump because pretty much everything that you want for yourself and your children and your family or what have you, he's dominated. You want uh, a good job? Well, he owns a billion-dollar empire and companies. He's got his name on buildings. You know, you're fascinated by celebrities. He's, you know, dominated 
um, you know, obviously um, the entertainment business as well. I mean, obviously, I'm, I have to say this along the way. I've come to understand, and thanks to a large part in this, uh, this uh, thanks to a large part due to this Netflix documentary, um, the American Dream, or something like that, about Donald Trump. I really, really urge you to watch it if you're a Trump person or whether you're not a Trump person. I was kind of like the kind of guy who was like the devil's advocate on the fence, saying, "Well, you know what." Uh, Donald Trump, I mean, obviously he's uh, he's the product of an underlying malaise in American society. You might say that, you know, nationalism, the rise of nationalism, and, and essentially that's what it would be. The same thing that brought Mussolini and Adolf Hitler to power, the same thing that's popping up in, in various parts of the world, nationalism. Anyway, I mean, someone once said all isms are bad. But we'll get to that. Guy Kawasaki, in this interview, he says something that rubbed me the wrong way. He said, well, in this industry, I guess he was talking about software or high tech, or maybe he was just talking about life in general. He said, if you do one good thing, one amazing thing, you can ride that for a long time. I don't know whether he was talking about a book he wrote or a company he invested in, or what, or working for Apple. Not sure if he rubbed shoulders with Steve Jobs, quite frankly. I'm not sure if he was that high up in the food chain. I'm, I'd be surprised if he hadn't met Jobs. But, uh, you know, he doesn't figure prominently in any stories or, or biographies of Steve Jobs, as far as I have seen. Anyway, I'm talking about Guy Kawasaki. There must have been a reason. Okay, this is the reason. He said another interesting thing in one of his books that started to sway me towards liking him. He said, well, if you think money is such a great thing, then look at who God has given it to. <laughs> right? That's very interesting. Now, whether or not you believe in God, it's an interesting statement. If you think money is such a great thing, look at people who have lots of money and study them. Okay, so yeah, money is not success. We might as well make that clear. And I think for most intelligent people listening to a podcast such as this, we understand that success means fulfillment in all its forms. Fulfillment. Fulfillment might even transcend happiness. You know, there's a real question, you know, what is success? There is a question that's out there. For longest time, I'd say success is happiness or in the sense of, the most important thing is happiness. And the way I would explain it to people would be like an acid test. If you're not happy, nothing else matters. And if you are happy, nothing else matters. This is this is very interesting. We might talk about this on a future episode. And we might call it, what is success anyway? For the purposes of this episode, the promise of a super you. It's just like promise of enlightenment. My big problem with these things is once again, A, I failed. I guess I've failed in the path of spiritual enlightenment, but for those brief glimpses of divine, um, divine pleasure that, you know, I might talk about on another, on other episodes there's something to be said about self-help versus spirituality. This is this is a key right here. In fact, I dare say I'll give I'll let the cat out of the bag. Self-help sucks and the answer is spirituality. 
The problem with spirituality is, you know, there's perhaps one person in the world who's 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 got a foot in both both worlds, the secular materialistic world and the spiritual world. The problem with spirituality is that it, to a lot of people it's mumbo jumbo. You're talking about the spirit, first of all. A lot of people don't believe in a soul or spirit or God or anything transcendental to nature. Sam Harris, on the other hand, is one of the world's leading atheists. Um, and his best-selling book, Spirituality, call on, uh, you know, or Waking Up, call on Spirituality Without Religion, is a testament to his stance on the whole thing. It's very interesting. I listened to uh, Sam Harris on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he dropped LSD when he was in his college years, just like myself, I might as well add. I've had my fair share of adventures with drugs, unfortunately. Um, even though I'm very religious, I was mistaken into believing that smoking hashish or marijuana or any kind of solid intoxicant was allowed and that smoking um, weed was, you know, a doorway to spirituality. Um, more on that later or perhaps not. But in any case, getting back to Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki, CA World 2007. My wife and I stayed at the MGM Grand, had the time of our lives, and uh, all that's gone since, uh, you know, all, all that's changed since then. Like, we had, once again, we're separated now. We're married still, but separated, obviously. We had seven good years and seven bad years, and for the last year, which is the 15th year, we've kind of been reconciling and potentially on the verge of moving back in together. But we'll see how things turn out, God willing. Uh, we had a great two months in in Toronto. And people say I ramble a lot, but on my YouTube videos that is, but I assure you that I do tie up I do tie my knots back up together. So the reason I was talking about Guy Kawasaki is because another very interesting thing he said is something about my so-called ex-boss, as I like to refer him to, although I was nowhere near him in the food chain, who was Larry Ellison of Oracle. We used to call him Uncle Larry within Oracle. Not so much here in Canada. Uh, in Toronto at Oracle Canada, you know, there wasn't really much of an Oracle culture. I mean, I was more of an Oracle person, and I still am not being a part of Oracle Canada than you know, my boss or many of my peers, I, I think, ever were. Like, I understand where Oracle fits into the history of IT, and Larry Ellison is still the longest-standing CEO ever in Silicon Valley. And the guy essentially owns and flies fighter jets. He built a billion-dollar yacht with BMW to win the America's Cup. Um, I mean, he's exactly just like one of these people that, we're talking about these super beings, the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs and the Gary Vaynerchuk. So, you know, uh, Kawasaki, Guy Kawasaki said something very interesting. He said, well, the difference between <laughs> Larry Ellison and, and, and me and you is that we're waiting to board a plane at Santa Monica Airport or something like that. We're chewing airports waiting to take off and he's got a private jet and they cut up and they section off part of the airport or something like that they give him his own landing uh you know runway to land on or some something like this now part of the problem of 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 
self-help that I might talk about later is once again the glamorization of the material. This is this is a big problem, a big problem, because peace and happiness and and everything you ever wanted you <clears throat> you already have. You know, I worked at Nike briefly and. You might say in a consulting role, <laughs> although the truth is a bit more sordid than that. Uh, so there's a there's someone in that figures pretty prominently in Nike history called Bill Bowerman, and um, I'm not sure who he was, but his picture is up on the wall in in a quote: "Everything that you need is inside of you." That is the real deal right there, and you know spirituality is the answer i might as well just say that and and hopefully we'll talk about that in in upcoming episodes but for now once again what's the difference between me and you and someone like a um you know a tony robbins so tony robbins tells the story pretty vividly when we went to see him in uh, in charlotte north carolina in 1997 i mean he basically on the one hand, he was a very intense character. This this has to be said. So it kind of lends itself to it lends itself to my previous thought. I'm still kind of on the on the wall about this. I mean, the truth is, I'm on the wall about it. Right? Here's the thing. I might as well tell you, I'm a Muslim, a conservative Shia Muslim. And of course, I've studied the Quran. I try to avoid quoting the Quran or Muslim sources in these episodes because I want to make it secular. You know, I'm very interested in in reaching a a broad audience of people and connecting with people that have these kinds of thoughts without kind of, you know, categorizing myself as, as, you know, a a Muslim preacher as such. But let me just say this. Obviously, I'm a Muslim, and I believe in the Quran, and the Quran says something that a lot of people might take the wrong way, but it, it's it's something that I, I guess um, deserves some thought. The Quran says that God essentially created people in different ranks or destined different people to be in different ranks, subservient to one another and, and going up in a hierarchy, just like we see in society. So that you've got rulers and you've got, you know, um, bureaucrats and you've got politicians and you've got civil servants or whatever. And every you've got organizations and you've got hierarchies and you've got people uh, above people, people supervising other people. So in one sense, people are destined to um, obviously um, become firemen or become scientists or become janitors or whatever. And it would seem to make sense if you're looking at things from a God-centric perspective, because how else would the world run? And what a what an interesting coincidence that all jobs are filled. But then I guess you'd say that, you know, most people hate their jobs. And so people end up doing whatever is available, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's an endless discussion. I guess most discussions could be endless. But at the same time, whenever you look at the Quran, you should also look at, from a Shia perspective, you should look at, um, what Muhammad said or what someone from Muhammad's family as in Imam Ali or one of the holy imams or the lady Fatima what did they say t- on this subject and what Imam Ali said on this subject is that you know your efforts cannot change destiny but your prayers can so let's just put it this way you may be destined supposedly to be a janitor 
but you can still elevate yourself. And once again, there's that link or maybe that kind of contrast between spirituality and self-help. This is a very, a very dominant theme, has been a dominant theme in my thinking over a large number of years. I wanted to write a book called Anti-Self-Help. Just like I've started this podcast, Self-Help Sucks, talking about the similarities and differences between self-help and spirituality. It's a very interesting sub-theme that hopefully we'll get into over time. So, you know, with self-help, you're talking about me, me, me. I'm number one. I'm the greatest. I'm so great. I'm awesome. And stare them in the eye and, you know, firm handshake and all this kind of stuff. Isn't it the case that in spirituality, it's the complete opposite? I quoted Lao Tzu, I believe, in the first episode, and it's more of humility, and it's more about putting the other person first. So on the one hand, I mean, you shouldn't be meek and mild and timid. You should be confident and assertive, I guess, to a point. But, you know, it's an interesting question. So Guy Kawasaki, um, Larry Ellison, uh you have all these super beings. Let's just call them super beings. That's really what they are. Gary Vaynerchuk and his lifestyle compared to the rest of us, I mean, he really is a super being. I don't want to say demi-god because I don't want to get into this hero worship mode, but really, the, w- the reason that we look up to celebrities, unfortunately, a lot of that is misguided. Celebrities are like some of the glitter. But when you read a real fellow, like I'm watching this... Um, documentary or i started watching it i didn't really get into it and finish it but travis scott i'd never heard of him and you see the soft-spoken black gentleman from the ghetto from the projects or from middle class you know american suburbia and this dude is out of control obviously on stage and his shows and it's just like he's a headbanger and the whole of you've never seen a crowd react to someone that way and it's like whoa and so he's like a super being Right. So Tony Robbins, he was always a very intense character. I guess this needs to be said, just like Steve Jobs was always a very intense character. He had these intense personality traits, Um, you know, and quite frankly, um, Steve Jobs needs a lot of talking about. And I've talked about him in some of my YouTube videos. I do not. I do not encourage you to look up and search out my YouTube channel. Uh, but in any case, Steve Jobs was pretty much a monster, quite frankly. He'd throw temper tantrums. He'd walk around barefoot at Marquet customer places. He'd show up in jeans. or He'd basically do whatever he want. He'd shout, scream, cry, demean you. Uh, well, I don't know about shouting, but he would just say, "This is." T-, he'd come to your desk and he'd be like, this is total shit. And he'd throw whatever work he'd been working on for the last 13 weeks on your desk and say, you've got like 30 days to fix this, if not 30 minutes, you know, what have you. Anyway, Tony Robbins, whatever else may be said about him, he was broke, dead broke at one point in his life. He had nothing. And he came home and he was evicted and yada, yada. And then in that first year, he made a million bucks. There was some kind of transformation. And he talks about going to psychology classes and you know, you know, all kinds of things, like crazy things, like a woman who's scared of a snake and he throws a snake at her to help her get her over it and stuff like that. I mean, very intense character. So now I'm thinking, you know, you know, it's the same with these Amway diamonds. 
you know, the Amway Diamond lifestyle is is the ultimate lifestyle because you're making all this money and it's like they say in entrepreneurship, you're working on your business but not in your business, right? It's like my wife and I recently met this uh, franchisee in Calgary who lives in like a multi-million dollar mansion and his parents live in a, a neighboring adjacent multi-million dollar mansion and the guy owns five Edo Japan restaurants here in Calgary and he's minting it and his whole thing is he's working on his business is not in his business he visits his area manager and his various branch managers you know but he his business if he went away for five months his business still continues to run and that's what the aim of your career should be my dear money makers out there unless you're involved in science or something where you need to have that infrastructure you know you're working with machines or construction you know if your job if you if your job is just to pay your bills and you're just needing to make a paycheck then you really need to get online and you really not need to start thinking about residual income i've come up on the last minute the point of this whole um episode is that you know there's a still a question mark is the promise of a super you real are these amway diamonds and tony robbins okay they may have been broke at one point but are they inherently different than me and you or can a meek mild-mannered clark kent really become a superman you know the the proof is in the pudding that so-called uh broke people become multi-millionaires but is that enough because success is not just about money Right. So I guess we need to look at the question a bit more. But for now, I do want to once again say that self-help does suck for the most part, as far as I'm concerned. And the answer is spirituality. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you'll be listening again soon. Take care.